keep those prayer sheets near to you. And let's now turn in the Bible to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. This may be a psalm that is familiar to you. If not, it needs to be. I don't always say that. There's some passage that, passages that don't seem as uh, crucial for you to memorize or commit to, to your memory, but this absolutely is one you need to know. You need to have your pen out and your highlighter out. You need to get your bookmark in there. You need to, turn, to fold down the page, and you need to know Psalm 51. I've got written in the bulletin, what should we do when we sin? You know, today's Palm Sunday, and I preached this morning, and we read all four passages uh, about the triumphal entry in Palm Sunday this morning with Jesus entering into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and I said it ten times today that we know that the reason why he came into Jerusalem is because he was coming to die on the cross. Palm Sunday is kind of like the initiating the Holy Week, the Easter week. Palm Sunday lets us know that Easter is coming. And today was Palm Sunday, and in five days we will get to Good Friday. And Good Friday is that huge day, right, that we recognize that Jesus died on the cross. And I realize that these things have kind of been turned into holidays. And I know, just like you know, that people aren't going to pay hardly any attention to Good Friday. And you know that. We'll put more attention on Easter Sunday. And what's funny and sad is that people say they believe in Easter, but they probably don't say they believe in the crucifixion. See, what Good Friday really is is that Jesus died. But Jesus died because of our sins. See, Jesus is God, and Jesus never sinned, and Jesus only did what was right and what was good, and he only loved people and treated people well, and he was kind, and he was always representing God. Jesus never sinned. Remember, there were two thieves crucified with him, and while everybody else was mocking him, there was one of the thieves that kind of leaned his head forward and said to the other thief, we are being killed justly, but this man is innocent. He doesn't deserve to die. See, Jesus should not have died. And we're all very aware that the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death, and the reason why people die is because we've sinned. Jesus never sinned, so he should not have died. And so I'm bringing you to the point of, well, why did he die? He died because of our sins. He died for our sins. He died in the place of our sins. Now, that's really Christianity 101, and many of y'all here today are like, yeah, duh, I've known that for as long as I can remember. But at the same time, I really want to, to challenge you with, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that, that me, Josh Green, is a, is a sinner? Do you believe that you are? Do you sin against God? See, Jesus died because of our sins. If you don't believe that you're a sinner, then why did he die? If you don't think that things are sins, then why did he die? And Good Friday is a, is a holiday, if you will. Now, we don't get much attention put toward it, but it's a, it's, a, it's a day that we recognize where he died. Our God died, if you will, because of sin. 
So sin must be a real thing, or else Christ would not have died. Well, so what is sin? Well, sin is any um, disobedience against God. That's a challenge in and of itself for you to understand sin by what it actually is. It's any disobedience against God. And so I want to ask tonight, according to Psalm 51, what do we do when we sin? Psalm 51 is so raw and it's so uh, blunt and it's going to really, really, really hit you. And I want to walk through it. Now, as you know, the Bible tells us what is sin and it's not subjective, it's objective. And what we mean by that is things are either sin or they're not. Okay? God has a lot of laws and there are a lot of things that God calls sin. And you know that. To lie is to sin. To kill is to sin. To commit adultery is to sin. And we could go on and on and on. And while you may say that nobody was hurt by it or, or I liked it or it's not that big of a deal, it's sin. And to sin against God is to bring judgment on yourself. These are real truths. And I know that we're a small crowd and it's a Sunday evening, but I know that you know that the huge majority of people totally disagree with us, disagree with what I'm saying tonight. But sin against God is sin. And we do sin. And when we sin, what should we do? That's what Psalm 51 shows us. It shows us this by way of David, King David. And everybody sins. And it's easy to just kind of say, hey, everybody sins. But when we get to, to the specifics of what did you do, or let, tell me an example of how you sin, well, that's where it gets kind of messy. King David, many of you probably know this story, but King David one day was on top of his house. They had flat roofs. And on top of his house, he saw another lady on top of her house who was sunbathing, perhaps naked. And when he saw her, he liked it. And so he made arrangements for him to go and be with her. He should not have. And she had a husband, and he did anyway. She ended up getting pregnant. He wanted to hide the whole thing, so he ends up having her husband killed, Uriah has him killed while he's at war. This Psalm 51 is David's cry to God after that. So just to be clear, what had he done? He had committed adultery, and really, from what we know, really, maybe just one time, maybe more, one time with somebody that's not his wife, and he also had her husband killed, hoping that that could cover it all up. Okay? That's what he did. Now, I realize that that's bad. But today, sexual sin is pretty common. This is what Psalm 51 is set in. So let's read it. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your, pre- in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will, will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. <coughs> Psalm 51 is the best passage in the entire Bible on what it looks like to turn to God when you're guilty in your sins. This is the best passage. You need to know this passage. This is one of those that you could read a couple times a day for the next week and really try to master, at least to get a grip on it. I want to show you three things from this passage in which our sin and then perhaps therefore our repentance impacts. Three things that our sin impacts and our repentance from our sin impacts. Before I do that, I want you to see here the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of Salvation through Jesus, even here in the midst of this sin and his reaction. This passage begins, and Joe leads us in songs that sound like this all the time. Verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God. If you don't know that prayer, you need to. If you're one of those people that pray every day, but you don't pray that way, you need to adjust your prayers. If all your prayers are, Lord, help me with this, and Lord, help me with this, and Lord, protect my children, and Lord, protect our military, and Lord, do this, and Lord, do that, then you have not gotten to the heart of what it means to pray. This passage is huge on teaching us how to pray in the midst of our sin, how to turn to God and seek the Lord in our sin. There's also a passage in the Gospel of Luke Luke, about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's a parable that Jesus tells And in that one, he says, two people sinned. And the one stood there and lifted up his eyes to God, and he started to pray all of this stuff about how much he had done and asking God to bless him. The other one, the tax collector, couldn't even lift his head up to heaven, had his head down, beat his chest, And the only thing he prayed was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that day, 
That one went home justified, not the other. It's a striking passage. Because the religious man, the one who had a lot to talk about in his religious life, the one who seemed to be more of God and about God, Jesus says, missed it. But the one who couldn't even lift his head, the one who couldn't even get out a lot of words, but prayed, have mercy on me, a sinner, received the attention, received the mercy from God. It's the same prayer that David prays here in Psalm 51, verse 1. It is, have mercy on me, O God. Listen to me. We all sin in different ways. You sin with your spouse. You sin with your, you sin with your kids. You sin with your attitude. You sin with your girlfriend. You sin with your coaches. You sin. We all sin. We sin with our attitude. We sin with our words. We sin with our hearts. We all sin. And we need to know that our sin is wrong, that our sin is bad, that our sin is offensive, that God hates our sin, that our sins are what killed Jesus on the cross. And we need to know any time we sin that the only answer to it is the mercy of God. You need to be able to pray, and you need to be able to pray every day, oh God, have mercy on me. Y'all know what mercy is, right? I've taught y'all many times that we may describe grace as getting something you don't deserve, right? Like if you go to the, to the ice cream parlor and you ask for one scoop and they give it out to you and it's got two scoops on it and you say, hey, I actually just asked for one. They said, I just have two today. You say, wow, that's grace. They're gracious to me. You got more than you deserve. That's grace. But mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you deserve. If you're speeding out here on the Gene Snyder Freeway and you're going 20 miles over the speed limit and the cop pulls you over and he says, man, don't you realize that it's 65 here on the Gene Snyder? You say, yeah. Well, how fast was I going? He said, man, you're going 85. I'd give you a ticket right now. He says, let me go back here and check it out. And he comes back and he says, young man, I'm just going to give you a warning today. That's not grace, that's mercy. Now, grace and mercy are very similar, you know that, but that's mercy. He should have given you a ticket, and he didn't. He didn't give you what you deserve. A sinner knows, one who has offended God, one who has done something they should not have done, one who has done something that God tells them they should not have done, a sinner knows God should punish me for this. Just like a teacher should punish a student or a coach should punish a player or a parent should punish a child when they deserve that punishment, the sinner knows God should punish me for this because the punishment is what I have brought upon myself. But God teaches us that he is a merciful God. And so our prayer to God in our sins ought to be, God, have mercy on me. If you don't pray that way, start tonight. And I want to go so far to say, now hear me, that if you've never prayed that way, then are you even saved? Are you even a child of God? If you've not prayed to God, have mercy on me. Perhaps you think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Perhaps you don't know yourself as clearly as you should, that you are a sinner before God. And you need His mercy. What the gospel gets at 
The good news is that God in his great love sent Jesus to die in our place, to literally become our sin on the cross and die for our sins. Whatever it is that we need his mercy for, Jesus has become that. And the Bible teaches us that not only can we pray, have mercy on me, but that God longs for us to pray to him and say, oh God, please have mercy on me. I know you, God. The Bible says he will have mercy on us who cry out to him. And this is what Psalm 51 is getting at. Look what it goes to next here. We might say, okay, that's the prayer. Have mercy on me, O God. But why would he? How could he? Why would he? How could he have mercy on us? And look what David knows in verse 1. He knows something about the heart of God. This is why I'm so taken back by people who are Christian that don't want to be in church or don't want to read the Word of God. It's letting me know one of two things. One, you don't really think it's sin that you're doing, or two, you don't really think you're Christian ultimately by your God. Because to have sinned rightly against God is to put ourselves in a situation that we don't like. It's to be in a convicted, guilty, uncomfortable situation, and something's got to give. And so when you start to cry out to God, how is he going to have mercy on you? The great beauty of Christianity is that we know what God is like. Look what David says. Remember, David the adulterer. David the king who's sleeping with somebody he shouldn't be sleeping with. David the king who should be out in the battle, in the war, doing something, but instead is trying to have this man killed to cover up for it so that he doesn't look bad. This is what he's done. This David knows the heart of God. Although he sinned against him, he knows the heart of God. Look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Look at this. According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant love mercy. Anytime you've ever been in an unfavorable position, we all default to, man, if, I, if, if you'll just give me a second chance, I promise, I promise I'll never do it again. If, if you'll give me another chance, I, I promise I, I, I will not do it again. We talk like that. We talk like that when we're in school trying to trick our teacher. We talk like that to our parents all the time. David doesn't try anything like this. He's not trying to finagle God to get in a favorable position. No, it's far, listen to me, it's far sweeter. David knows that at the very heart of God is a God that loves to be merciful. David knows that at the very heart of God is a steadfastly loving God. Is a heart that is abundant with mercy. He knows this about God. So if one was to say, you adulterer, you murderer, David, why in the world, what in the world makes you think that God Almighty, your creator, your holy and perfect God, what makes you think that this God is going to forgive you of your filth? David, with tears in his eyes, would say, oh, I know he shouldn't, but he will. That's what he's like. 
loves me. He's merciful toward me. So my prayer is not, God, I'll never do it again. Stop praying that, people. God, I'll, I'll make it up to you somehow. How many broken relationships are there in the world full of immorality and distrust and, and hurt and stabbing people in the back and committing adultery and affairs and cheating on each other all the time and this empty, broken, I'll never do it again. It's not a picture of God and forgiveness. God tells us steadfast love is at my very nature. I'll forgive you because I can forgive you. And David knows this about God. Now, there's a lot more for me to say to put all that in play. We're only at verse 1, but notice that David knows this about God. David is saying, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Notice that David's not saying, Come on, God, I've, I've never done it before. I mean, come on, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years now. And it's only one time ever that I've, I've had an affair. I mean, you're talking about thousands of days, God, where I'm walking the line. I'm not really messing up, God. You, you, you know, God, you know that most of the time I'm a good dude. He's not saying anything like that. I want you all to hear me tonight that all of that sort of stuff is somebody who thinks they're good and therefore they don't need the mercy. Or they think they're owed the mercy. This is not where David is. David is on his face, have mercy on me, O God. But he thinks that there is something in God that will cause God to forgive him. He thinks God is so beautiful and brilliant and majestic and sweet and gracious and merciful that God will be merciful to him. It's fascinating. It is totally different than the way worldly non-Christian people think about their sin. I mean, it is totally different. But it's awesome. In verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. It, it, there, there's no way for you to take Psalm 51 and to spin it into something where sin's not that bad. And there's no way for you to take Psalm 51 and to make it into something where David thinks, I'm going to do better, I'm going to clean myself up, or I'm going to get my act together. There's nothing like that here. He is all out broken before God, yet he is crying out to God, have mercy on me. Well, I told you three things, okay? And you can see it both ways. One, three things that sin affects, and three things that your repentance of your sin impacts. Number one, you, yourself. Your sin hurts you. Your sin messes you up. It'll mess with your conscience. It'll give you guilt. It'll bring shame. To be guilty is to have guilt, right? See, it, it, again, I know this is a countercultural message, but think about all the people in the world who have guilt, and they should have guilt. Think of how many people you say, man, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to stop living with guilt, Right? And they, they should have guilt. If you're guilty, you should have guilt. And the thing is, you can't really run from it. You just have to find the love of God and the mercy that will wash you from it. Notice that word in verse 2, wash me. The first thing that sin affects, and the first thing that repentance impacts, is you. 
Look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's hard for me to read verse 3 because it is so brutally honest, is it not? See, I came here tonight on a Sunday afternoon at 6 o'clock and y'all are going to listen to me Y'all don't know. And if I keep hiding it, y'all will never know what my personal life is like. Right? That's what's brutally honest about sin, isn't it? And David knows it. David knows it. If you're here today and you've committed adultery like he has or you've murdered somebody, I'll never know unless you tell me. We'll never know unless you tell us, and you don't have to tell us. I may recommend, please don't tell us. But you know what is so real? You know it. You know it. If you've been beating your spouse or cussing out your spouse, or if you're secretly struggling with with being a drunk or being a liar or being prideful, you just can't stop boasting about yourself. The only thing you can talk about is you. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're foul mouthed as can be. Maybe the F word flies out here. Maybe you run people down. Maybe you're a gossip like that. I don't know. But here's the thing. We may never know. But you know it. And it's bothering you. Now, if it's not bothering you, that's a whole other story. I'll preach that sermon some other time. And you need to get God in view. But you're here tonight on a Sunday night because God's in view. You know that. God is in view in your life. You're here on a Sunday evening in the midst of the Elite Eight. There's better things that we could be doing on some levels. But you're here tonight because God is in view. And no matter what anybody knows about you, here's what David understands so well. My sin bothers me. Y'all, it is so common in the culture today to evaluate sin based off its consequence, right? If nobody's affected by it, then what's so bad about it, right? If nobody's bothered by it or nobody thinks it's wrong or nobody's hurt or nobody's broken or nobody's crying, then is is there even anything wrong with it? David sits here in verse 3 saying, my sin is ever before me. I know you know Y'all, tons of people today are suffering from depression. Now, not all of it is due to sin, but a lot of it is. A lot of it is, I'm not happy with who I am. I'm not okay with what I've done. And they're struggling with their view of themselves. Verse 3, David knows this. My sin is ever before me. He's not saying, I can't believe I did that to her. I can't believe I did that to her. Now, he does say that at other places, but that's not what he's saying in verse 3. He's saying, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe David did that. I can't believe that good old Josh Green did that, is what he's saying. You have got to understand that about your sin. Yes, your sin affects other things, and we're going to talk about that. But the first thing that needs to bother you is that your sin affects you. And you need to know that. And you need to admit that. And you need to deal with that. I said it a couple weeks ago. 
You're never going to understand yourself. You're never going to truly know you until you start to understand and know you through God. The first person it affects is you, but the second person it affects, and it just keeps getting heavier, is God. Verse 3, he says, it's before for me. Look what verse 4 says. And against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We're living in a day where we usually don't think sin's bad until it's found out, right? The apology doesn't come until everybody else finds out about it. But David lets us know here that he is bothered, sick over the idea that God saw what he did. Now think about it. If, if you don't believe in God, you don't believe verse 4. There's a whole world of people out there that'll totally say adultery is wrong because you've hurt that person or because you've hurt you, and they will talk about how bad it is without God, and that's true. It is bad, right? You, you cheat on somebody, you have a man killed, that's bad. And they can have that conversation without God. Not David. David says, this bothers me. This is eating me up. But not only because it affects me, but God, you saw it. You saw it. Folks, do you realize that you have never spoken a word that God didn't hear? You have never cursed your neighbor and God not heard it. You have never spoken cruelly to your spouse and God not heard it crystal clear. Do you realize there's not a porn site, a naked woman, a foul word, there's not a sexual lust, there is not an adultery you've ever done, a position you've put yourself in that God is not focused on. He sees everything. The Bible tells us in multiple places and nothing is hidden from his sight. David knows this. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had her husband killed, and he tried to work it out, and it left him there broken, saying, against you, God, you only have I sinned. I did something evil in your sight. Do you know that? The first person that affects your sin is you. The second person your sin affects is God. God loves you. God has good plans for you. God is a father in heaven to his children. But the third person that it affects is everybody else look at verse 13 then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you now the reason why I said at the beginning the sin, your sin affects and your repentance impacts is because of this point. David is now talking about everybody else once they see how he responds. David sees a good position in the opportunity to be able to say, hey guys, you know what I did. 
Hey guys, you know about me with Bathsheba. Hey guys, you know about me with her husband. You know about all of that. Well, listen to me. I was wrong. It was evil. I sinned against God, and I have sought him for mercy. And David says that if God will forgive him of his sin, then David will use that opportunity as a way to teach them about what God is like. He will teach them about mercy. He will teach them about this steadfast love of God and the abundant mercy that there is in God. He will teach them about a God who washes away filthy sin. He said, I will teach them that. But I want you to hear tonight, and and you don't even need me to preach this. For our experience in life and our experience in church and our experience with church people is everybody in here knows countless people claiming to be Christian, living in their sin, running in their sin, but certainly not dealing with their sin. And because of it is a whole world of people looking at God and wondering, does he really change lives? Does he really convict of sin? Does he really? Is it even real? Is it even true? Do I even need to repent? And we confuse the message. We misrepresent God. And David knows that it is horrible to misrepresent God. So David says in verse 13... Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. But verse 13 uses the word then. So what is it about then? What is it that's happening that causes David to say, I want other people affected. I want me affected. I want you affected. I want other people affected. Well, let's see. In verse 5, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is David identifying that he's not a good person that did bad things. Listen to me. He's saying, I'm not a good person that did one bad thing. I'm a bad person that has the potential to do bad things, and I need the mercy of God. He says, I'm a sinner through and through. I'm a sinner deep down. I've got the potential to sin, and I need the mercy of God. Verse 6, he goes on to say, you delight in truth and the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David goes on here, and this is in verse 6, and he says something that is as spiritual as spiritual can get, and, and most people don't have a category for this. He says, this that I did is an inward problem. Now certainly we know it happened with their clothes off, and we know it happened with, with a murder, but David says it's much deeper than that. This is a heart issue for me, this sin was, and I need God to fix my heart issue. I don't need God to get rid of the baby or get rid of the marriage or get rid of this. I need God to fix my heart. You need to understand that all sin issues, all of them, how big or how small, how deep the consequences or how minimal the consequences are, it is a heart issue. A five-year-old kid at home that continues to lie to his mother has a heart problem. An 18-year-old boy that continues to mess around with sexual morality has a heart issue. A 35-year-old that is as prideful as can be in his work has a heart issue. A husband that continues to not love and serve his wife has a heart issue. These are heart issues. And David knows that, he says in verse 6. In verse 7, he says again, purge me. He says again, wash me. He says he knows that God can make him whiter than snow. He says he can make me pure. Verse 8, he says, now listen how deeply he feels it. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now listen, 
Being right with God, being forgiven of your sins, is not something that you feel. It's something that you know. Big difference there. But being wrong with God is something that you feel. Let me say that again. Being right with God is not something that you feel. It's something that you know. But being wrong with God is something that you feel. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Does David have broken bones? No. You know what he has? A broken spirit. He has a guilty conscience. This man cannot stand what he's done before God. And he is desperate. He is crying out. In verse 9 he says, God, don't look at it. God, blot it out. Hide yourself from it. In verse 10 he says, God, create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. Verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. If you don't know Psalm 5110, Psalm 5112, circle it. These need to be prayers in your everyday life. When you're driving to work, you need to turn off the radio a few times and pray, God, create in me a clean heart. God, renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51 is heavy. Psalm 51 is deep. We're supposed to get out of here at 7, but I don't want to stop. David seems rare and unique, doesn't he? Seems to be a fanatic or an extremist, actually. But you know what he really is? somebody that knows God isn't he see you have been taught or conditioned to try to think about your sin listen to me by how bad you think it is or by how bad everybody else thinks it is that's the way you're trained that's the way you're conditioned unfortunately What do my parents think about this? What do my friends think about this? What does my government think about this? That's the way you think about your sin. And if you can't find anybody that thinks being a drunk's bad, it ain't that bad, right? Wrong. There's one way for the Christian to think about their sin. There is one way for the Christian to think about their sin, and only one way. What does God think about this? Because David was so focused on God, he worried about himself, he worried about God, and he worried about others. And it led him to repent. Psalm 51 is King David saying, God, forgive me of my sin. And God, I know you will. Folks, when you understand the great love of God through Jesus, you can come to God and say, God, forgive me of my sin. I repent. And I believe you will. And I believe that's why you sent Jesus. And I believe you want to forgive me, God. And he will. The passage goes on to say, God, I know you don't want me to do anything to make it right. It's one of the huge promises of Christianity. It's one of the things that makes Christianity so sweet. He doesn't say, 
do something to fix it. He doesn't. He says, trust me. Rest in me. Come to me. And he will. What should we do when we sin? We should look fully in the person of God. The love of God, the character of God, the nature of God. And we should say, I shouldn't have done it. But I believe in my God. And he will forgive me. Because of Jesus. May you not be somebody who makes excuses for your sins. And may we certainly not be people who downplay our sins. But may we be people who look to God and are forgiven of our sins. For he forgives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Psalm 51. Father, we all sin. But we must know how to respond to it. Father, I pray that we would know what it does to us. I pray that we would know what it does to you. And I pray that we would know how it affects others. I pray that we would be bothered by those, mindful of those, concerned about those. And Lord, I pray that we would find forgiveness in you. God, thank you for Jesus who did die in our place as we will celebrate this Friday. God, may we be honest, humble, broken people. And may you forgive us of our sins. Have mercy on us, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.